are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to begin. And I do want to say congratulations to the Sanford Seminoles for winning uh, the 8A championship. They did so in Tallahassee yesterday. They went 12-0. and 0. And it finally took a Seminole team from Sanford to go into Tallahassee and actually win in that stadium. So go Seminoles. Go Seminoles. All right. Last week it was a cleat. Today it was the Seminoles. Let's stand as we read God's Word, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'm here all day. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Let's begin reading. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called, say these names with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. All of my kids have the same first letter. It is A. Uh, my name is Alan. Uh, my wife's name is April. Uh, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, but my kids are Aaron, Andrew, and Anna. Uh, my wife and I decided early on we wanted to begin our kids' names with the letter A so that we could all be all A's. Uh, and we wanted to use biblical names. And so we both chose the names of our children. You know, names are very important. Names matter, and, and especially how you spell their name and how their name kind of means certain things. And, and sometimes when you're thinking about names, you kind of want to think of, well, what happens if they marry someone? You know, like if my, if my daughter Anna married a guy last name of Banana, that would be funny. Anna Banana. But, you know, there are some kind of combinations out there that I have literally heard that are just kind of... Well, a little unfortunate. Uh, my second grade uh, school teacher, her name was Anita Penn. And so I got in trouble once because I raised my hand and I said, Anita Penn. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that was the first paddling I ever got in school was from Anita Penn, uh, not Anita Paddling. But anyway, I knew a lady in, in Somerset, Kentucky, whose name was Ima Miser. I'm a miser. She didn't give anything to the church. Uh, I'm a miser. I actually did know a lady in Arkansas. No joke. Now, there's going to be people say, you're lying. You're making this up. I promise you. Her name was Helen Back. And I guess after marrying Mr. Back, she went through it. <laughs> Just kidding. I did not know a lady named Helen Back. I did hear of a name of a woman by the name of Paige Turner, uh, and so I guess she turned the page. But this is legitimate. There was a pastor I knew uh, that his last name was Butte, but when they were younger, so that was how it was originally uh, said, but his family actually changed it to say Butt. And so his name was Larry Butt, and his wife's name, I'm not kidding, he married a woman named Rosie. <laughs> you can finish the rest of that, Okay. Names are important, and having 
understanding the meaning of those names and the significance of those names are, is important. I mean, I, I've told you this for years, that my name, Alan, means either one of two things. It's Irish descent, and it either means handsome or intelligent. And so I just say it's both, right? I just say it's absolutely both. But when it comes to the names of God, there are over 100 names in the Bible that describe God. And as we understand who they are, it changes how we think about him and, and how we relate to him. Well, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Christmas, and he's giving hope to those who are in darkness, confusion, and fear that he was telling them that there would be a Messiah King that would be born. And as we read verse 6, that is the divine birth announcement that tells us that the child that is born is no ordinary child. It's interesting that it says here, he is given to us. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That's unlike any other child in history. He wasn't just given to his mother, wasn't just given to uh, his adopted uh, father, but was to us. Even Isaiah includes himself that it was to us. Think about this. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, what did they say? For unto us or unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who did he give that? Who did the angel give that announcement to? The shepherds. The shepherds weren't the fathers, but they were the recipient. The angel says, go and see a baby that was born to you and ultimately born for you. See, Isaiah's prophecy is that a child is to be born and a son is to be given, and that child that is born and the son that is given is both God who is with us and God who is for us. And so as we looked at these, as we look at these titles and names that God tells us, they tell us who Jesus is. And last week we saw that he's a wonderful counselor. Today we're going to see that he's mighty God and everlasting Father. And on Christmas, Adam and Eve, we're going to be seeing that he is the Prince of Peace. But today, in the names mighty God and everlasting Father, we see that Jesus is not an ordinary child, but our defending deity and our faithful Father. Number one, we see that he is our defending deity. He is mighty God. The word here, mighty God, is El Gabor. Uh, El is a singular form of the name of God, Elohim, Elohim, and that's the name that we are first introduced to when we meet God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. That word Elohim or El signifies that he is the creating, sustaining, providing, protecting, defending, all-powerful, all-knowing, personal God. The word Gabor here is a word that means mighty warrior, hero, champion, someone who is strong, someone who is unparalleled, and someone who is undefeated. It is a name that is given to God in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So here we are introduced that this child that is born and son that is given is El Gabor. He is the mighty God. Now, uh, this is telling us that Jesus is more than just a man. He is God Almighty. Now, God is not just some category or just some name. It is a category. To, to be God is to be the holy other. Everyone in Isaiah's day uh, believed in either a God or gods. The question in Isaiah's day is not, is there a God? But rather, which God do you serve and which God do you worship? In Isaiah's day, there were no atheists and there were no agnostics. Well, in our day, we have atheists and agnostics. But yet, what Christmas does is Christmas clarifies the question to us, is there a God? 
And what we believe, what the Bible teaches, and what Christmas shows us is that Jesus is the one true God, not just one of many. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says that, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now, some people say, well, pastor, I will never believe that Jesus is God. I'll never believe that there is a God unless I have an airtight argument. I need something that is absolutely irrefutable. Well, I want you to understand that we may not have an airtight argument, but we do have an airtight person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, by his life, examine his life, his claims... His resurrection convinced his closest Jewish followers that he was not just a prophet that came to tell people how to find God, but was God himself that came to find us. See, as the wonderful counselor, this child has plans. But as the mighty God, he has the power to accomplish those plans. The Messiah King is not only does not only have the power of God, but is the power of God. And therefore, the government shall rest upon his shoulders. As I was reading these verses this week, this verse had new meaning, especially in light of what's going on in our political climate, that the government will rest upon his shoulders and that he will remove the burden of all the oppressors and the increase of his governance and peace, there shall be no end. See, when Jesus came to this world, he demonstrated his absolute authority and power over everything. He demonstrated that he is El Gabor. I mean, you think about this. If you were just to to read the gospel accounts, you would see that when Jesus came into this world, he overcome any obstacle that was in front of him. A person came to him with leprosy. What did he do? He completely eviscerated their leprosy, and they were completely healed. A person came to him was blind, or a person came to him unable to walk. He healed their disability. There were people that came to him that were filled and possessed by and oppressed by demons, and Jesus delivered them from the demons. There were those moments in which Jesus went through storms and went through his disciples went through storms and Jesus stilled the disasters. And there were those moments where death stood to his face, but yet Jesus in that moment defeated death and spoke it away with, with just a word. See, as you read the Bible, it seems like Jesus came into this world to kick tail and the gospel writers came and took down the names. Jesus came mighty in power. There is no God like our God, but he also not only came mighty in power, but he came mighty in love and he came mighty to save. The God who tamed the winds and the waves, who eviscerated disability and disease, who conquered death with just a word, is the same God-man who submitted himself in humiliation and torture on the cross. He came mighty in meekness. You know what meekness is? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. He came with the strength of God, but yet he humbled himself. One of the early church sayings of the early church, one of the early sayings of the early church was this, is that the true strength of a flame is not shown by its ability to burn upward, but by its ability to burn downward. Now, let's just think about this. If you were to take a a match out and you were to light it, well, it, it will burn until it burns your finger and then you let it out. But it burns, and it burns upward. If you try to turn it down, it will still kind of burn upward and it will burn your fingers. A match is hot, and it it has the ability to catch things on fire, but yet compare a single match to a blowtorch. A blowtorch can blow you away, literally. Which is stronger, a match or a blowtorch? Obviously, a blowtorch, right? 
But the blowtorch not only has the ability to go up, but it also has the ability to go down. And here we see Jesus' true strength. Jesus' true strength wasn't just the fact that he could go up and be lifted and exalted, but his true strength is even more demonstrated in the fact that he could go lower. See, his true strength was not just demonstrated in creation, but in redemption. Jesus came to this world to be our champion. When we were weak, broken, helpless, hopeless, and oppressed, Jesus showed up to defend us and to deliver us. We needed a hero, and heaven sent one. On Christmas Day, our Savior came, and he did not, God did not just send an angel. He sent his Son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave us his Son to be our defender. You know, since 2000, there have been over 36 major superhero, superhero movies that have been made. 36 of them in major movies. There's a lot of weird ones out there, but there's at least 36 made with billions and billions of dollars in sales. You know, we are drawn to stories like uh, Batman and Spider-Man and Superman and the Black Panther, and we love it seeing those superheroes uh, defend the helpless and save them from the villains. We have infatuations with, with stories like even the, the latest story put out by Disney of the Mandalorian where you see this strong, powerful warrior defending a little baby. All of those stories that we think of that we're drawn to, that we'll pay millions of dollars to, to see and, and to buy the, 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 the stuff with it and the little superheroes, all of those things are just mere shadows and types of what Jesus came to do. The reason that we are drawn to Superman, the reason we're drawn to these things is because we are looking for a hero and Jesus is that hero. He is El Gabor. He stands at our defense even though we don't deserve it. He came to this world, Jesus did, to defend, to save, and to help those who are lost and helpless. He came personally, but he also came to not only defend us personally, but he also came to defend us legally. Even today, he stands before God the Father at our defense. So all that you are not, and all that you need, and all that you want, Jesus, the great, eternal, almighty God is. Whatever you're not, whatever you're lacking, whatever you wished you were, Jesus is. And he stands to defend you and to stand for you. He is our defending deity. But secondly, he is our faithful father. Notice, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Forever faithful father. Jesus is the perfect dad. Now think about this. The son that is given is the everlasting father. Does that seem kind of weird? I mean, how we always known Jesus? As the second member of the Trinity, we've always known him as being God's son. We don't ne typically ever call Jesus a father. Now, there are some uh, over the years that uh, believe in a, a, a heresy called modalism in which they believe that the father became the son and that the son became the spirit. But no, that's not what's going on here. It's not that Jesus became the father. It's in this moment that what he is describing here with calling him everlasting father is he's showing the character of Jesus. That it's an analogy that, that shows that Jesus' Jesus's character was a father-like character, that his love and treatment towards us is fatherly, that he is our protector and provider. You know, fewer words in any language invoke the kind of feelings we have when we hear the word father. In the Christmas season, we either remember our father uh, that we had, or we think of the one that we wish we had. 
Some of you grew up with a bad dad, and some of you grew up with a good dad, and some of you grew up with no dad at all. Some people struggle to call God their father because of their relationship with their earthly fathers. Uh, the atheist, uh, psychiatrist, uh, Sigmund Freud said this. He says, no, nothing is more common than for a younger person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. If you think about this, there's different kinds of dads in our broken, fallen world. There are disappeared dad, disappearing dads or deadbeat dads. You know, I think about this kind of even in Christmas movies. If you, if you really digest a lot of Christmas movies, a lot of them have to do with relationships characters have with even their father. I mean, think of the, the, the wonderful theological movie called Elf. And you have Buddy the Elf, and he's never met his dad before. And he's in the North Pole, and he embarks on a journey to go meet his dad. You know, there are a lot of people that have grown up in, in this situation where they either had a dad who was never there or a dad who was absent or a dad who they have never known. We are raising in America a fatherless generation. Over 40% of children in the United States live in fatherless homes. And so studies will tell us that these kids who have grew up with no fathers at all uh, subconsciously interpret the absence of their dad as a personal rejection. And so because there's no dad in their life, they feel that they're not important or they're not good enough for their dad to be in their lives. And so many people, even in our day, they live with severe daddy issues, always looking for someone to love them. Uh, one person told me a few years ago that they constantly have this voice in their head telling them that they're not worthy, they're not good enough for their dad to actually love them. Lance Morrow in an article in Time Magazine said this, he said, the damage caused by a father's absence may be severe and may last a lifetime. It is a shadow. The longing, especially for sons, for their fathers is almost physical, something passionate, profound. It's often mysterious to sons, pardon me, it is often mysterious to sons what, it, what, is they, what they want from their fathers. And he says, he even, the guy that writes this says he sees it in his own son, this longing. Some of you, maybe you had a deadbeat dad or you had a disappeared dad. But another kind of dad is a, de a demanding father, a demanding uh, dad. I think of the Grinch's parents. I mean, you think about that. They allowed him to move out of the house and live on a mountain by himself when he was eight years old. But I think of the Grinch himself. And maybe some of you had a dad that was like the Grinch. He was always unhappy and always miserable. No matter what their kids do, it, it seems like it was never enough. You know, some dads have unrealistic expectations on their children because of their own missed opportunities in life. And so some dads will live vicariously through their kids or, or, or they'll, they'll hate their kids because they look at their opportunities. And some people, uh, they'll take out the, the hatred of their, uh, of their lives on their kids and, and they'll always be in a bad mood. Some of you, maybe you grew up with ab abusive dads or that were either verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, or physically abusive. And what happens is that these kids that grow up in homes like this are typically angry and, and bitter and anxious. Another kind of dad is a distant dad, a distant father. I think of Peter McAllister in Home Alone. I mean, twice he forgot his son. <laughs> this dad is present and consistent. He provides for his family, but he doesn't connect with him. He's too busy doing other things with other people than his own kids. A workaholic or pleasure-seeking or constantly disrupted. He never tells his kids that he loves them, and he never tells them that he's proud of them, and he never tells them you're good. And so this kid constantly grows up insecure, looking for attention. They grow up looking for someone just to love them. Bo Jackson, who is the only man in all of 
history to be an all-star in both the major league and the NFL. Uh, he was a great athlete, but just because he was a great athlete, it didn't mean that he had a great relationship with his father. In 1995, there was a Sports Illustrated article that said that Bo Jackson said this. He says, my father has never seen me play a football or baseball game, not a single one. Can you imagine? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and after the game, I'm sitting in the locker room envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk with them after the game. He said, I never experienced that. Maybe that's some of you. And the last is a delightful father, and, and I think of just going in the Christmas movie theme, I think of Clark Griswold. <laughs> Maybe you had a dad who loved you and coached your teams and never missed a game and, and never missed an event that you participated in and was a, a sweet, kind dad. Maybe that was your experience growing up. But yet, as you see, even as delightful as he is, he still makes a lot of mistakes. You know, C.S. Lewis said that our dads are to be like the ray of the sun, they are to provide warmth and love and acceptance. They are, they are to provide light to point us to our real father. See, see, the best father on earth is just a faint echo of the way that Jesus really loves us. And the most disappointing earthly father is just a reminder that there is someone who has come that will never disappoint us. It's been said that the greatest failure of human history, of mankind, is to, a failure to father. If the world is to be corrected and set aright, it must be through the restoration of fatherhood. And that's why the Messiah is described as the perfect father. See, Jesus would be the father that we've always longed for. And that's why it's been said that we should not judge your heavenly father based on your earthly father, but you should judge your earthly father by your heavenly father. I mean, the last messianic prophecy in the, in the Old Testament is how Jesus will teach men how to be fathers. Think about this. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And he, the Messiah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Think about that. Jesus has come to restore fatherhood and to demonstrate what fatherhood looks like. Why? Because Jesus is the one who reveals the father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Examine his life, how he treated those who were under him, how he treated those who were around him. Jesus is the perfect image of God and the exact representation of what God is like. Jesus alone is the only one who can make the Father known, and no one can come to the Father except through him. So everything you've ever dreamed a father could be, everything you've ever wanted for your relationship with your eternal father, your earthly father, Jesus is and will be for you. What Isaiah is saying here is that your Messiah will forever be perfectly father-like in the way he shepherds and leads you. And so in Jesus, you have the perfect father forever. Now, let me give you a verse that I, I pray that will help you in, in these days. You know, everything in our days are, are changing. Everything is changing. Here's something that doesn't change. You know, I, was, I was talking to my wife before I get into this verse. I was talking to my wife yesterday. We were out on a walk, and I said, it seems like in 2020, everything has changed. Everything has changed. The things that we look, church has changed, right? 
politi- the politics of this country has changed. Kentucky basketball has changed. We used to be good. Now we're bad. Up is down. Down is up. Everything has changed. You know who hasn't changed? Jesus hasn't changed. This is a verse. Let this word speak into your heart. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's what this means. He doesn't change. Jesus remains the same. He doesn't get old and he doesn't die. He doesn't get angry and leave. He, he does not get frustrated and quit. He doesn't change. And so because he doesn't change, he never changes And because he never changes, it means that his love for you will never change. And so you and I don't have to worry that one day he's going to finally have enough with us and send us to hell. No, his love for you is forever faithfully. Because he never changes. And once you become a child of Christ, you are his and he is yours forever. And there will be no goodbyes with him. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from his love. Not even death itself will destroy it because all death does is draw us nearer. Spurgeon said that there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him. That's good news. Jesus is mighty God. He is our defending God. He is our defending deity. And Jesus is our everlasting Father. He is our faithful Father. The other day, Anna came to me, and we were riding in the truck, and just out of the blue, she said, Daddy, what does the name Jesus mean? And I looked at her, and I said, Well, honey, the name of Jesus is a special name. It's a very special name. It means God saves. Jehovah saves. God saves. She looked at me and she says, Daddy, that's a good name for Jesus. And then she asked me this question. She said, does anyone else name their babies Jesus? And I said, yes, some people do, but it's not the same. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels told the shepherds that a baby was born to them, he was born to them so that he would be their Savior. That child that was born, that son that was given, was given to be our Savior. He came to defend and he came to deliver. He came to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, save us. Now, how could that child save us? He could only save us by being mighty God. Because only mighty God is powerful enough to save. And he would only save us because he is everlasting Father. Because only ever, our everlasting Father is passionate enough to save us. See, Jesus is both strong enough and loving enough to save us. And think about this. You and I were so bad, Jesus had to die. Our sins separate us from God. Our sins, the things that we not only do that are bad, but the things that we do that are good, trying to earn God's a favor, was bad. We were so bad that Jesus had to die, but yet so loved he was willing to die. What we learn from Christmas is that we could not save ourselves. That's that one story of Christmas. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. Only God saves. But here's the good news, that if you think you've gone too far, remember that Jesus is mighty God and nothing is too hard for him. 
If you think that you're too bad to be loved, remember, he is your everlasting father who will never abandon you or reject you. If there are things in your life that seem over your head and overwhelming, there is nothing that Jesus can't do. You have to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of that. And going through the week that I've had and going through the weeks that maybe you have had, we have to be reminded that he is mighty God and he is our everlasting father. And so when he, who is almighty God, who is also our everlasting father, thinks of us, it is not evil. It is love. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear the words of an Old Testament prophecy in Zephaniah chapter 3. And here's how God treats those who are his. The Bible says, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one, El Gabor. Who will save? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. One of the things that my kids and I love to do on our way to Disney is we love to turn Disney music on and sing together. Now, I know it's not very manly for me to sing at the top of my lungs, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? or Akuna Matata. But it's a memory that we have. We are a singing family. My kids and I, we love to make up songs. We, we make up crazy songs. We have fun. You know, growing up, I don't remember my dad ever really singing to me. But he was a great dad and is a great dad, and I love my dad. But I can't remember him ever singing over here. But, but, but me, and, me and April, a, a few years ago, when, when the kids, especially when they were very, very little, when they were toddlers, little babies, we made up this song that we used to sing over them whenever they had a bad day, whenever they got upset, whenever they just felt really bad, whenever they were upset with their brother or their sister, we, we would sing a song like this. And I'll sing it for my daughter. I love my Anna girl. Oh, yes, I do. I love my Anna girl, it's true. When you're not with me, I'm blue. Oh, Anna girl, I love you. And so we still to this day singing over them when they're feeling upset. And as I was reading this text this week, I, I was just thinking that what does my mighty God do when I've had a bad week? What does my everlasting father do when I've had a really rough day? Does he reject me and hate me? No. Because of what Jesus does, what did for me, he rejoices over me. He quiets me with his love and he sings loudly over me. And maybe he just says, I love my Allen boy. Oh, yes, I do. I love my Allen boy. It's true. And when he's not with me, I'm blue. Oh, Allen boy, I love you. The Bible says he sings over you. This mighty God, this great warrior, greater than Superman, greater than any action figure you can imagine the most courageous champion can tenderly sing over you with love. There's no other God like our God. 
And so as I end right now, I want to ask you, is Jesus your mighty God and everlasting Father? Have you experienced His love for you? See, remember, Jesus is the child that was born, but He's also the Son that was given, and which means He's a gift. He's a gift that's given. And so the question is, have you received Him as a gift in your life? Have you received him? Have you taken a hold of him? And have you made him yours? See, he's the father you've been searching for all your life. He's the defender you've been looking for. He's the king you have been seeking. He is the one. And your heart will always be broken. And, your ho- and there will be a hole there forever until God fills it. Because you need the mighty God and the everlasting Father in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross. I thank you, Father, for the fact that you sent Jesus to point us to you, who is the Father our hearts have always longed for. Jesus came not only in strength but also in love that when we were sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more it was his love that lifted us so father if there's anyone in this room or anyone online or anyone listening on the radio later today that doesn't have a relationship with you father I pray right now that you would make them miserable they do I pray God that they can't sleep tonight I pray God that they just will completely come to that point where they'll surrender their life to you God whatever it takes and Father I pray right now that if there's someone here that says I need Jesus in my life I need it that's hole in my heart I need it filled that today they would pray a prayer like this Father God in Jesus name I ask you to forgive me of my sins I have done so much. I have rebelled against you. But I ask that you forgive me of my sins and that you save me. That you be my mighty God and that you be my everlasting Father and you be my Prince of Peace. Please, Jesus, save me. Father, whatever words that people may have said, you know their heart and you know the the faith that they have. And Father, I pray that this Christmas season, Father, would you would help us to hold on to in the midst of this uncertainty. We have a mighty God and an everlasting Father in the person of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.com. 